Dear listeners, welcome back to this latest episode of the podcast series, The Way Out is In. I am Joe Confino, working at the intersection of personal transformation and systems evolution. And I'm Brother Fap Hu, a Zen Buddhist monk student of Zen Master Tikihan in the Plum Village tradition. And I have to say, dear listeners, that I have sitting here with a big smile on my face. And the reason is that Brother Fap Hu is back in Plum Village. So um, he's been away for five weeks having surgery. And so we thought this was a really good moment to talk about what it's like to have ill health, what it's like to deal with that. How do we accept what is going on in our bodies, and also do our best to heal and be present. The way out is in. Hello everyone, I'm Joe Confino. And I'm Brother Fab Hu. Brother Fab Hu. I'm so excited. Welcome back to Plum Village. Where, where did they did they put rose petals before you as you arrived? Thank you, Joe. <laughs> I was welcomed by rain, which was a blessing because we have had such a dry summer. Mm. So, brother, um, tell us mm. what has been going on for our listeners who haven't a clue. I think we mentioned in our last episode that um, there was something you were dealing with, but um, tell us what has been going on in your life. What has been going on is um, ill-being in the body has uh, manifested and it was important to listen to the body and to take care of the body. So I ruptured my ACL, which I had no idea that I ruptured it. And during the summer, I had a fall and there was a twist that was very strange. Um, and consulting with some of the doctors, they said, let's get an MRI just to make sure that um, your ligaments are fine. And the result showed that it wasn't fine. And it also showed that the rupture was before the fall. So I was just enduring the pain, which is something that I know I have this characteristic in myself of, in, of deep endurance of pain and suffering. And it comes from um, my heritage of the Vietnamese culture. And we speak about this a lot in our um, discovering of our own roots of, you know, my heritage from Vietnam is we've been at war for a long time through many centuries. So endurance is a very big characteristic of our, of um, our people in a way. And when when it actually happened, it was very interesting because there's always option. Like, do you want to take care of yourself now or do you want to delay it? And the first thing I, w- I thought of was I still want to serve the community. And because it happened right in the middle of our busiest season, which is our summer um, retreats and many retreats in the summer. So from the family to the wake up to the educator, And we've had thousands of people. And there was even a guilty feeling of like, I shouldn't be sick. I shouldn't be ill. 
in those moments, um, the answer is always mindfulness. But how to be mindful and to surrender to not your own story of what you think is good and what you think you should be doing, but also to be mindful of the love that is around you, to listen to um, the wisdom of your brothers, your sisters, your friends, who are also a part of your support. And I think coming back to like six weeks ago, I was very judgmental of myself um, and I was debating and I was trying to actually find an excuse to delay my own care. And just recognizing that this is also a, a sense of self uh, selfishness and our practice is learning to inter, inter be with um, your family, your loved ones, your community, and to open up yourself and trust the community. So there was a big moment of letting go of the ego and accepting the care and the love that was there. So I was starting to prepare myself for surgery. I had a lot of consultation with doctors. And every moment um, of talking about the suffering of the pain and so on, your mind creates such stories of all the wrong things that can happen. <laughs> and I think um, it's never pleasant to, you know, to, to go under the, to, to be open by, um, by, by the knife and to, to take care of um, the pain and the injury, but very, very insightful. So the first thing was many of my f closest friends were saying that this is a sign of slowing down, dear brother Fahu, uh, that you have been at gear five for the longest time. And sometimes it is the conditions of ill-being is a teacher for you to learn to listen to your body. And that is the first establishment of mindfulness in the four establishment of mindfulness is learning to be mindful of the body, listening to your body, caring for your body, recognizing where there is pain, where there is tension and coming home to it and embracing and accepting it. And I remember um, 12 years ago, um, I was born with hepatitis B and I when I rec when we realized I had it, I was over the age of getting the um, um, the vaccine to 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 care for it, and I didn't know. And twelve years ago, um, learning to be an abbot in the community, I was um, very intense in my training, and I got really sick. And that's when I discovered that um, all of this fever and all of this um, weakness in my body, how fragile I had become was because I wasn't listening to my own body. And it also tells us that the mind is very powerful because I got sick once all the retreats stopped. So my mind was like, I need to be there. I need to do service for my teacher, my community. And so the body can follow the rhythm of the mind. But once you stop, your body tells you, 
you need to take care of yourself. You need to stop. And uh, 12 years later, once again, <laughs> and I recognized that there was um, a lot of tension in myself and in my own um, in my own projection of myself also. And it was a real moment of coming home to the body and then coming home to the feelings, which is uh, the second establishment of uh, mindfulness. And then, and then um, the mind. And the mind is like the stories that we have of ourselves, the stories we have of our community, the stories we have of our um, aspiration. Have I been too ambitious? Have I um, been neglecting my own well-being and the journey that I really want to tell um, today was the journey of being in the hospital preparing for um, being operated and recognizing first of all the fear and it's only natural to have fear and not trying to um, push it away and not trying to um, deny it and I think a lot of um, a lot of judgment came up like, why am I so afraid when I've been practicing for, you know, 21 years, I should have no fear, no birth, no death, right? Like I've been talking about this. I've been meditating about this for also a long time. And suddenly when it is your turn to be um, cared for intensively, just recognizing that as a human, we're limited and um, the truth is we are all of the nature to get sick. We are all of the nature to get old. We're all of the nature to die. And the dying in Buddhism is not just the moment of when we um, breathe our last breath, but the dying is in every moment because the dying, the no birth, no death is the insight that there's always birth and there's always death in every moment. And that's why we are ever changing. And then um, recognizing that we have to learn to let go of everything we hold dear to us, even our good health, we have to learn to let go of that. And our truest belonging is our actions of body, speech, and mind. And when I was um, changed into the hospital um, gown, a lot of the doctors and nurses don't know that I'm a Buddhist monk, right? Because I, I just look like a teenager boy, actually. <laughs> and and um, we were being prepared and there was a lot of things going on. Um, luckily, it was at um, the meditation time. So I had to show up at the hospital at 5.30 in the morning. And I was like, right on schedule, you know, like this is normally where we start to be active in our day. Um, waking up and being present and very, very, very interesting. Um, they allow you to be on your phone for the first like 30 to 45 minutes. And I'm going to confess, like, I also, I said, like, okay, there's a lot of things going on. I'm just going to take refuge in my screen right now. But my refuge was just sending like text messages to all of my loved ones, my sangha, my support, my friends who are like, it's happening. Um, please send me some healing energy and so on. And just to know that there are those that are there for you. So I, 
I was seeking um, a refuge outside of myself. And then there's a moment they're like, okay, we need to take your device because we, we're, we're about to, you know, uh, administer administer some medication and, and so on. And I can hear also other patients. And <laughs> it it was such a, um, a moment that I was so grateful for the practice. Because if there is one thing that I know how to take refuge in is my own breathing and my own island of of self and what i started to do was i started to communicate to my leg of what's gonna happen and i started to talk to it as though it is me and it's not just an instrument right it's not just like you're injured and this but i was like giving it so much gratitude for so many of the months that it has endured the pain and then what's gonna happen and speaking out of respect to the legs and asking it for its own insight of healing because our body have insight of healing. It knows how to heal if we allow ourselves to heal. And I started to just speak to it and bring ease to my whole body as I am communicating. And the first thing that um, they needed to do was to numb my whole leg. And there's two nerves that they would have to target and to uh, neutralize it and to allow my leg to totally be numbed. And they asked me if I wanted an an anxiety shot um, because, yeah, you're going to feel this. And I knew that I was already going to be um, under a lot of medication, if there's one less one, I would choose that. And I, I told the nurse, I'm actually quite calm. I would like not to have the anti-anxiety um, shot. And the nurse looked at me and she said, you are really calm. And so in the discussion, I, I, I did tell her, like, I've been a monk for 21 years. And she's like, no wonder, no wonder you're, you're so... You're so present. And when they started to um, to enter into the body, into the nerve, my whole body started to tense up. And the stories, the fear that's, that are coming um, starts to be very loud. The safest place, coming back to mindfulness of, first of all, my breath, and then recognizing the fear and the tension in the body. And I started to just, with the mindfulness of breathing, just to ease the different body parts. Like my shoulders were so tense, my jawline was so tense. Part of my hands was shaking. And it's just a sensation of fear. And just calming with each breath, you know, the body. And it played such an important part of letting go and also being healed. And uh, that was a very um, impactful and insightful moment I had with myself in that moment of just um, being very real and applying the practice very concretely. And then after that, um, there was like moments of just waiting for the next thing. And before entering into the operation room, I had a, a very big gap of, um, of, of waiting. 
And in that moment, just gratitude was very, was very present in me. And I was just grateful for all the support that I was having, grateful to all the conditions and just meditating on the well-being that is present in your life. And that was my practice in order to um, bring peace to that present moment for myself. Um, and I, I would like to say that that was so supportive and that was um, very real for me. And it wasn't like spiritual bypassing or anything like that, but that was like present moment, healing moment. And what your mind can also, you can channel your, your, your thinking and your cultivation of that mind in that moment to moments of gratitude, moments of um, relaxation, and moments of accepting. Thank you, brother. Wow. Um, my body was tensing up just as you were telling me the story of you tensing up. Um, that I, and thank you for that, particularly because I think for your deep honesty, brother, because actually, um, you know, so many people face fears or face problems, whether it's ill health or others, and just to hear you go through that process is just so helpful because it's it's just shows that this practice is not about being in the meditation hall or being on the cushion. It's about bringing these teachings into our lives, especially, and I love the way Ty said, you know, that the reason we need to practice is for when the difficult times are. That if if this was the first time you said, oh, I've read a Zen book yesterday, um, I'm going to put it into practice. It, of course, it couldn't work, but the, it's the cultivation of the practice that allowed you to then in this difficult time where where there's so much energy in the opposite direction to be able to pull it back and to to rest in that place. And brother, you know, a lot of our listeners will not know that um, that you cared deeply for Zen Master Thich Nhat Hanh when he was ill in hospital, especially in the difficult times where he had had his stroke, he was in hospital, he wasn't sure if he was going to make it. Um, and where he also then had to go into MRI scans and all this sort of stuff. And I'm just wondering whether what you went through with Ty helped you in a sense. What did you learn about Ty that you were able to then also recognize you were bringing into your support in, in that, in those key moments? Mm. Mm. Looking back, um, eight years ago when, uh, when Ty's, uh, health was declining. It was, first of all, very hard to believe that my teacher was getting ill because our, our wish and our um, mind only wants to, um, to see our loved one as healthy as ever. And even though I have recited many times, you know, the gatha, when the day ends, like the day has passed, I need to look back at what I have done, you know, and our truest belonging is our body, speech and mind and to be grateful um, of our well-being and also meditate on the nature of impermanence of, 
of 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 life. Like I've meditated on my own body, getting old, um, returning to the earth, and so on. But when it actually happens, like when Tai actually had the stroke, first of all, like the my reaction was like I don't know what to do, and there's almost like there's no. There's no magic pill for that moment. I wish there was. I wish I can be solid as a mountain, and you know, just have immense space. But the reality was like, my heart was like in pain, and the fear of like what now was was like banging on uh, my door. As also as a member of a community that relied so much on Thai. And I went down also a rabbit hole of like blaming a lot. Like I was, w- w- when when you're suffering so much and there's so much unknown, like you 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 look for something to blame the situation. And I was really angry at God, at the universe, at all the conditions. And I was like, like. I don't believe in a particular God, but like in those moments, like <laughs> I'm like, if you're out there, what the heck? Like, why out of all the people to have a stroke? Why, why can't it be a drug lord? Like, why can't it be like a criminal? <laughs> and my my mind was getting very dark, and I was like, why somebody who, like Tai who has only worked for peace and has only devoted his life to help people have to suffer such a fate? And so my own um, way of thinking was um, was just looking for an outlet in order to to answer the unknown. And of course, as I was going down this rabbit hole of like just negative thinking and blaming and challenging like the universe, walking meditation told me um, because walking meditation was Tai's favorite practice and during as I was walking through my anger it, my walking was just telling me this is a part of life this is the journey of life where we have to learn to accept and when I just started to accept that this is the present moment my teacher Is in a coma. Um, I couldn't cry at that moment, and I was very jealous of a lot of my brothers and sisters who were crying because it was a grief that I wanted to express. But inside of me, as I was one of the key attendant and a leader of of, of the attendant team, my My shoulders were like others can cry, but I'm just gonna be present and solid, um, whatever that meant. But that was my my story that I created for myself. And when we hear this phrase "dwelling happily in the present moment," we may become caught in the word happiness because we all have an an idea of what happiness is. Happiness is 
good health. Happiness is success. Happiness is fame. It is power. Happiness is having a, a great house, having all of the wonderful conditions. But in deep Buddhism, the teachings of the Buddha it teaches us that even in the ill-being, there is still happiness. And I was able to witness. Tai's healing journey of accepting his ill-being. How powerful that was of a direct transmission of the teachings. And when Tai had the stroke and Tai was in a coma, even in the coma, Tai's breathing was consistent. His breathing were never interrupted. That's how it felt, like the mindfulness was never interrupted. Even his awareness of when people were present. Many of the students um, who came to visit Tai were saying, wow, Tai is really here. And that's why it was so hard to, to even understand that Tai was in a coma. But yes, he was in a coma. But there, were, there was one moment... Um, it was, if I, if, I, if I can remember correctly, I would say it's like after the fourth night and there was a lot of activities in Tai's eye. So there was a lot of movement. And I told um, my team, we were, we were in teams of three to care for Tai. And gracefully, the hospital allowed us to be with Tai 24 hours a day. And Tai was in the ICU intensive care unit. And um, because we all felt Tai has taken care of us and the world in a way. So now the minimum thing we can do is care for Tai in the most um, crucial moment of the unknown, of birth and death. And I remember telling my team, it was uh, Sister True Dedication and Brother Fap Ao. Those were my two uh um, attendant uh, brothers and sister. And I told them, I think Tai is going to open his eyes tonight. And it was exactly around like 2 a.m. In, Fran in France, in Bordeaux. Tai opened his eyes. He was leaning on his, um, laying on his right side. So his right side was paralyzed, but his left side was able to, to move. And when Tai opened his eyes, I got so excited and I squatted down to meet Tai's eye level at the bed. And like a child, I was like, Tai, do you see me? <laughs> Even in that moment, I was so selfish. I'm like, Tai, do you see me? Uh, you know, now being able to say it, like, it's so funny, like how selfish we can become. Even in that moment, how much I want to care for Tai. And mm. I was just like, Tai, do you see me? And then Brother Fab Ao and Sister True Dedication was right beside. We're all huddling and we're like, just, just wanted to, wanted to tell Tai that we are there. And Tai um, put his left hand out and he put his hand on our heads and our face. And the touch was so tender and so gentle. And my definition of that moment was like, Tai knows that we are there for him. And he was reaching out just as a teacher and a student. Like I would say, like, thank you for being there. 
And for, for us, we're like, we are here for you. Like his mantra, you know, like, I know you're there and I'm so happy. And for us, Thai, we know you are there. Um, and the journey of healing was also, is on two parts. The, the caretakers and also the one that is um, taking in the, the healing journey. And what I learned from, from my own practice of being with Thai was that we all have an idea of what we want our loved one to become, right? Like we, I, my, my deepest wish was, yes, I wanted Thai to speak again. I wanted Thai to be able to walk again. I wanted Thai to be a teacher as he was again. I was very attached to that image because I took refuge in that image. I took, um, um, I cherish that as as that has molded me who I am, and I maybe wasn't ready to let go of that that persona that I had, which was a global teacher, a mindfulness father, and so on. And I had to learn to let go of that of that of that view that I wanted. We had a lot of um, real talk among. Um, his students and one of it was we said if Tai wants to let go we have to support that if Tai wants to become a cloud we don't have the right to hold on to that because our deepest practice is freedom stepping into freedom and in this moment of of dire situation are we being selfish are we wanting Thai to be there for us? Or are we allowing them to be exactly who they need to be in that moment? And yes, it is. I am sick. I am limited. And maybe we can still find beauty in that. And the, the miracle of Thai's healing was Thai overcame the this the hemorrhage um which in principle the doctors told us Thai had six hours left and i looked at the image of the hemorrhage and it wasn't looking good and we were all preparing um and miraculously i would i would say that the the international community the world was sending Thai so much love and I also felt this is this is a brother who take okay so this is I I hold responsibility for this which is I really feel that um, Thai felt the sangha wasn't ready for Thai's letting go and Thai's returning back to Mother Earth and as a teacher he was still being a teacher he was still being very responsible so that's my take <laughs> and. Um, when Tai came out of the coma and Tai started to, to be trained um, through physiotherapy, um, I was able to, to witness the mindfulness of the body. Like Tai looking at his left side, which is active, and his right side that is paralyzed, and how he was so tender and so caring for it. And there were moments of pain, like agony. Um, 
there are um, moans that that was like I wanted to take that pain for Thai, but I can't. There were restless nights of the body of just aching and a lot of movement. And in those moments, and I'm sure many of us have these questions when we are with our loved ones, and we see our parents or our partner, even our children, in such pain, and we want to take on that pain for them. How do we practice? And in those moments, it, the mantra that I recited was, "I am here for you, and I'm witnessing your journey." And the best I can offer is just my true self, my full presence with no expectation. And I feel because if if I'm coming with such an energy of expectation, the the others will feel that, my teacher will feel that, and that will add another layer of expectation, and of judgment, and of 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 my own story that I'm. I'm placing on my teacher of what I want, and I feel that's not fair. But if I just show, if I'm just there, and I'm just breathing, and I'm also feeling the pain, because we have experienced when you're with somebody who's so happy, you're infused by their happiness, and you experience that. But when you're with somebody who's suffering deeply, you also become that suffering. But you can channel that suffering together. And I, um, there are moments when I would just, if I can do anything that's as minimal as like massaging, where there's pain, or just you know communicating to Tai, like Tai, is there pain? And he would nod. And is there? Let's try this. Let's try that. You know, be very gentle. And 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 there are moments we just accept it, and Tai just accepts it too. Um, so. Also having um, my brothers and sisters to also just talk about it together was very helpful, and not finding an answer. There's no answer. Just just being able to to communicate and just to share. Wow, that was a really tough shift, or that was, you know, my heart like dropped when I saw Tight in pain. You know, just to share that pain together. And then relying, I did a lot of touching the earth. Um, I did exercise just to <laughs> nourish myself, and also talking about the practice is finding also joy in those moments, and just saying how wonderful, wow, we can be together um, and grieve together in this moment. And so there are ways of being in the pain and the suffering, the ill-being. Um, but still able to to find the deepest practice. Um, I think this is fundamental of listening to um, the situation and then being very mindful of of our views that we are bringing into the situation. Yeah. I'm sitting here feeling the depth of your love and care and deep experience of that time. So I, I'm feeling that the 
the weight of it, not in a heavy, not in a weight in a heavy sense, but a weight of the weight of the presence of it. And I'm just wondering, given you went through all that, and now you've gone through, you know, at the tender age of 35, I think, are you 35? Um, and having gone th- into hospital for the first time for quite a serious operation, um, what did you take from all that experience of being with Ty, of the Sangha, of the feelings? How did that help you to be present and to be in the hospital, in the way you were. Can you see a direct line of those two things? I remember before the stroke, um, we were in the hospitals in in Bordeaux and Tai had to do a lot of scans, MRI to x-rays. And there's like a moment when like, like I'm walking along Tai's bed as he's being um, transported to the x-ray room or the MRI room. And then there's a moment you can't enter anymore. And it's, it's a, it's a literally a physical letting go. And, and I think for myself, there was a, a moment of like, oh, I want to be there. Like, I just want to protect you, Ty. <laughs> and the next a few hours after um, Ty's x, x-rays and MRI, Ty shared with, um, with like two of us and I was one of the attendant that was present and he was being very vulnerable with us. He shared with me that even Tai, when Tai goes into these rooms, there are some fears that come up. Like what if it shows up that I am not well? There's that fear of the unknown. And it was, number one, it was like, oh, wow. Even Tai has fear. So it's okay if I have fear. It's totally normal. You know, like it's, it's that the permission. It's the permission to feel. And then the second thing Tai said, which was the practice. He said that those moments you can feel very much alone. You can feel so lonely. You can feel so cut off because it's just you in a room with machines. And Tai said in those moments, he channels the community. We all have a safe island where we can take refuge in. And for him, his greatest happiness is the Sangha. Sangha meaning community. And he would visualize as he is being transported into these um, rooms that he's not alone and that the whole Sangha is journaling with him through this healing process. And he would even say he can even feel the whole ancestral ancestral lineage with him, genetic, spiritual, and even land. And so when you have this insight, suddenly gratitude becomes very strong in you. And it gives you um, a foundation of acceptance. Because even if I'm not well, but there are members of my sangha that is well, I can take refuge in that. So you're channeling the interbeing of of reality in you in that moment. And it is true. We're all separate because you are Joe, I am Brother Fabhu, you're Brother Nim Tung, you're Paz, but we have lived and and journeyed together. So there are elements of you in me. Mm -hmm. And... That's exactly 
every time I was feeling lonely, every time I was having doubt about myself, every time I was scared, I would channel my community. I would channel. Um, I, I would borrow the strength of my brothers, my sisters, my friends, and this is not like this is. Not like um, a practice of like forgetting yourself, but it it is a practice of seeing yourself beyond yourself also. Because it's true, I'm not just this body. I'm also the wellness of my brothers and my sisters. So that was a very deep practice for me through this journey, um, through the healing process, and also to let go of like. Like your own ambition of healing, like I, I, I suddenly realized I'm gonna have like five weeks of not doing anything, and I was like, yes, I, I couldn't wait for it because like I've just been so busy, right? Mindfully busy, mindfully happy with all the service, um, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna put effort in the book that I want to, you know, um, 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 invest in, and so on. And after the surgery, like the only attention that that I had to give was my body, and and I can neglect my body, and I let go of so many things that I thought I should have done, could have done, would have done, and just take refuge in those moment of healing. And I remember um, Tai. Teaching all of us, learn from the animals, learn from nature. When the animal is injured, it stops everything that is doing, and it just rests. And resting is such an art, and resting is so hard when you have been in gear five for so long. And just like a fan, you know, when you press stop, you can't stop right away, and you also have to give yourself permission to. To stop, to rest, and to ease into the sensation that is so present. Once all of the anesthesia was off, like I was like breathing in, I am in pain. <laughs> breathing out, I am accepting this pain because I can't push it away. It's so real, um, and um, just learning of the body, um, learning to listen to my body in that moment. I was nauseous for uh, a good week and a half to almost two um, after all of the um, the drugs that the painkillers and so on that I was on, um, and using you know the practice to to not push it away, but the practice was to to accept it, and the acceptance was was what I learned from Thai. Um, The more you fight it, it doesn't really help, because the more you fight it, then you're gonna look for, um, you're you're looking for a distraction outside, and fortunately, um, in in our training, um, we, we we don't take refuge in 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 movies and so on. And even though I had access to like YouTube and so on, like. I just couldn't go. Like it felt like what Paz told me it was like it felt like dirt. It was like it's just like this ain't nourishing, you know. And and I just wanted to to just give myself permission to be. It was a real 
real refuge of being in the body, being mindful of my perceptions, being mindful of um, the object of mind that I'm leaning towards and and also the object of mind that where I should, and my object of mind was healing and resting. And uh, luckily I have some, still I was able to keep um, some ritual of, of my of my day, which was every morning, me and my and and my uh, beloved. A shout out to Chris, uh, who was my caretaker, uh, um, sangha member, and later to Nya, um, who was also present uh, to to be there and to care for me. Every morning, we would uh, drink tea together, and and just enjoy the simplicity of each other's presence, the simplicity of the early mornings, uh, silence, and then having a moment just to, to check in with each other. And that became like, um, my, my schedule. And then the physiotherapy and the exercises became my meditation. You know, I let go that, yeah, you, I can't cross my leg now. I'm not sitting on a cushion for probably the next seven months or so <laughs> and just accepting all of these limitation. Um, the good news is I'm walking really slow right now. <laughs> so we have <laughs> we have a slow walking meditation and the art of walking meditation. So I I, I have to walk slow. So You're going to have a monk jam behind you because no, no one would want to overtake the abbot. Well, I'm, 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 I'm going to put like a signal like, please, please, please walk beyond me. <laughs> please pass. <laughs> please pass. Exactly. Um, yeah, you know, looking like w- w- one of... I had a moment with Tai um, in 2016, and Tai was doing um, a lot of a lot of physiotherapy because Tai was trying to also get back some of his mobility, and um, it was very intensive. And Tai was so determined. Number one, I learned his determination. Uh, number two, um, trusting the body and giving it permission. And then um, when Tai was um, needed to rest, he knew how to rest. And there was a moment Tai, uh, tai got quite sick um, and and um, we had to go to the ER and so on. So it was another scary moment for, for those of us who were with him. And he overcame it again. And I just had a dying question in my heart. And I and the question that I had, I had, the question that I had, was, "Are you afraid of death?" For whatever reason, I don't know why, but that question was just banging on in my heart, and I was really nervous about this question because I didn't want. It, it looks like I'm challenge. I'm, I'm challenging my teacher. Um. But it, it was like, I just wanted to know so I can support you. Because I, I think that we all have a fear of death. I think no matter how, how much we practice, because that's, that's a fact, that's a n- nature that we, we have to let go of. And it's scary to, to let go of everything that we, we hold so dear to us, even though that's our meditation. So... 
there was a moment it was just me and Ty. <laughs> and go I, for it. Go for it. I went for it. Like I knelt down and like, I joined my palm. Like Ty, can I ask you a question? And Ty, Ty nodded his his head, and I and I asked Ty, "Are you afraid of dying?" Ty looked at me with such kind eyes, and he had a smirk on his face, like a like a like a smile, like a smirk. He's like. It it was almost like <laughs> me afraid of death, and he put his hand on my on my cheeks, like it. I couldn't speak, but I I, I heard everything. <laughs> I through my mind was like, my child. No, I am not afraid of death. I'm here. You're here. Let's enjoy this moment. And it was such a relief in my heart, because Tai was so confident in his look at me and his smile, and his um, his palm that was on my face, and was like, it was like, hmm, it's it's okay for you to have this question. You're young, you're 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 curious, but for Tai, no, I'm not afraid, and. Tai was um, Tai was eighty eight when he had the stroke, so like eighty nine was like like um, post the stroke like, uh, after the coma and everything, and um, one day Tai decided that he has to enjoy life with the community, with his uh, with his limitation. And he called all of us attendant. We were in San Francisco. Um, Tai was getting um, medical care there, and Tai looked at all of us, and Tai looked at Brother Fab Lin, Brother Spirit, because Brother Fab Lin was in charge of all the liaison, uh, liaising with all of the doctors. And Tai looked at and pointed at Brother Fab Lin, and Brother Fab Lin. Asked Tai, Tai, would you like to um, stop all of the physiotherapy, speech therapy, and so on? And Tai nodded. And Tai was so happy because we understood him. And uh, in that moment, though, there was also a lot of fear, and there was also, um, dare I say, some disappointment. In like, because we wanted Tai to get better, we wanted Tai. To be able to speak again, we wanted Tai to be able to to be more mobile, and um, it was really tough for some of this decision. And but Tai was so clear, and what I learned from it um, was that Tai recognized that he's done his best in the last six months to. To get as much back as possible, Tai was very diligent, and we established um, our own practice while we were in SF. Um, we we had a established sitting meditation schedule in the mornings, even precept recitation with all the attendants, and Tai would join all of these sessions. And when Tai decided that he wanted to stop, it wasn't him giving up. But it was him smiling to life and saying, "Even in this state, 
Thai can still be with all of you. Thai don't need to be able to speak again. Thai don't need to be able to walk again. Thai don't need to um, be able to um, move by himself. Thai has accepted all the care. Thai has accepted the condition that he's in. And like every time I think of this moment, um, it's the real art of accepting the present moment. Because we're the only moments we're gonna have in life is the present moment. The past will become a memory, will become lessons, will become a legacy, and the future is not yet there. So all we have is the present moment. And Tai was able to accept the present moment and live deeply this present moment, and he gave us seven years. Of living so deeply with the community, like imagine if those seven years were just in the hospital, or just activities of uh, physiotherapy and so on. Like then we couldn't have been with Thai. Thai couldn't have been fully with the sangha, and Thai also surrendered to the community. And in two thousand sixteen. January, we celebrated New Year's and Christmas in SF, and it was so joyful. When Thai decided that he was going back to Plum Village, Thai was so happy. He celebrated. He stayed up to welcome the New Year's with all of us. We sang so much songs, and Thai can sing because, like, there's a neural pathway that Thai was able to, to, um, to sing. Um, and verbalize words that were so clear, like "da về đã tới," which is "I have arrived, I'm home." Thở vào, thở ra, breathing in, breathing out. And uh, we've learned that, like, like um, um, there are neural pathways in us that we can still sing, but speaking is different. Um, and I remember when we returned back to Plum Village. The first thing Thai wanted to do was to visit all the hamlets, and to be with the community, and not to waste a single moment. And we had a monastic retreat. Every morning, Thai was there to to do sitting with us. And the most dreadful moment came was he he came to listen to our Dhamma talks because now all of the Dhamma teachers have to learn to 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 get the teachings, which he was um, the primary teacher. And I remember, like we were learning to be teachers. So, like looking back at our teachings, like in 2016, like I, I think like we would be embarrassed <laughs> to listen back to our delete, like delete. please delete it, you know. <laughs> um, but Tai was always there, just giving his presence, just supporting us. And the the most heartwarming moments. I mean, there were so many, but one of it was like during the summer retreats, and Tai would come out for walking meditation. And all the children would um, would um, um, crowd around him, and Tai would hold a child's hand for the walk, even though he was in a wheelchair. And we would stop at the Buddha Hill in Upper Hamlet, exactly where he would stop. We even carried Tai's wheelchair up the New Hamlet Plum Hill, where we would look at the landscape, and the community would sit around Tai, and nothing was lost. You know, it's just our perception of what we have lost, but maybe we have gained 
such such miraculous moments with with a, a wonderful human being that knows how to to be in the in the suffering of the body and i think one thing that i um that i am still learning is to accept to accept everything that comes at us and not to be hard on ourselves even our our ill-being our our health when it um goes down or if i've meditated like if one day you know i have to announce to my community like i have cancer and so on and and just to accept it and still be able to to live fully and i i asked a lot of the brothers and sisters um on the last days before tai's passing um in in uh, 2022 um how was the last 48 hours you know that that tai was with the community and one of the attendants told me that looking back um he can he he can see that the way tai was looking at all of us like he was just um savoring each moment and also was also a goodbye so knowing how to be in the present moment is a masterful class of zen <laughs> and it's a cultivation that no matter how much we practice it always teaches us new things the present moment always teaches us um accepting letting go embracing and dancing with what we have and um just one more thing that um i've i've learned from tai was i I've, i've done a lot of like i put my hand on my my left leg especially when it couldn't i couldn't move it for the first like week or so um just to be tender with yourself um i saw tai be so tender with his right hand which was paralyzed uh, through his through his um um caring for his body because his right hand if we've listened to a lot of his teachings he always speak about it when he talks about you know non-discrimination because a, a lot of a, almost 99% of Tai's poem were written by his right hand except for one was by a typewriter so it was a a, a collaboration of two hands um but he shares of the non-self like is not proud and the left hand is not jealous and if the right hand is injured the left hand will take care of it and that's exactly what happened and when tai was paralyzed um I, yeah i i was able to witness like tai holding his hand with such tenderness and acceptance and because when you accept you also you ease and you liberate yourself from your own um judgment and your own um critical mind of of body shaming and so on so coming home to the body that's why the first establishment of mindfulness that the buddha teaches us is coming home to the body
So, brother, you have returned. Um, and uh, they say that the, you never enter the same river twice. And um, so the fat poo that returns is the same and also different. And you've talked a little bit about what you've learned. But I'm just wondering if you were to, you know, you've come back now. You're the abbot of the community. Um, you've gone into a deep experience about yourself, mm. uh, about what the teachings mean in practice, about um, where you have your strengths and also where you have your fragilities, which you've shared very openly and honestly and generously, actually. Um, and I'm just wondering, beyond what you've said, is there something you come back with around your own practice and around around is there anything that you would like to be or do differently having had this experience of um and also this in this forced rest where you mm. just recognize you need to just stop completely which is probably the first time you've done that in a very very long while um and also for your place in the community in the community i'm just wondering if you know, we, you've gone through something and now you've returned. And I'm just wondering if anything is showing up for you. Mm. What is new is old, but what is old is new. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, I think um, what I want is more support. That's one thing I've learned, um, to not shoulder everything by myself. Uh, just as when I was healing, I couldn't do it by myself. If it wasn't for um, my friends, if it wasn't for the Sangha, I wouldn't have been able to heal. And I'm, I'm, I also, I, I'm very grateful to all the doctors and all the nurses and the PTs that have been caring for me, um, that I can't do things alone. Um, and... I have very strong aspirations still. Um, and one of it is speaking to a very good friend who is also a business man. And uh, he listened to this podcast too. So I think it's a shout out to him also um, as he was speaking with me during my healing process and caring for me also um, about communication. I thought I was a good communicator, but the only thing I wanted to communicate about was the good things, was the flowers. Um, and we still have a lot of things to figure out as a, as a community in Plum Village, as a monastic community, as a global community, as um, a, uh, a multifold sangha, which is Tai's biggest legacy that he's given to us. And one thing that I recognize is um, there's not enough communication between um, the leaders of the communities, like the monasteries. And I feel like Tai was such a good bridge maker and bridge builder um, through the different um, students that he's had around the world. And, and not to be attached to how Thai did it, because Thai was Thai, but to be creative and find ways. And this is, 
a priority um, just to check in on how every monastery is doing um, and to have also mutual respect for all of us um, in different parts of the world and, and to honor the, the differences that we also have. Like all of the monasteries, we have the same foundation, but we also have to adapt to the different cultures and so on where we are established. And then on a personal side is also not being carried away by, okay, this can be, sound so funny, but success. <laughs> <laughs> not to be carried away by success. Um, I, I recognize that I was, um, I like the feeling of being able to, uh, to accomplish things, even though it was within the the uh, the image of of a big community, but but I'm not gonna stop doing it. But it's just like to care for myself, right? In order to continue to serve and 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 not to be guilty, mm. not to feel guilt about about stopping. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And it's easier said than done. And I, I, I feel this is going to be uh, my continuous practice for years to, years to come. Yeah. Thank you, brother. And it's, you know, for, for me personally, the, the great beauty of Plum Village is the humility, is the fact that, that you're the abbot. You could very easily be on a high platform in terms of not necessarily physically, but in terms of this is what you need to do. And if you only do this and, and, and I think the heart of this podcast and what gives so many people hope and sustenance and is that it's, is this level of honesty and this level of there's the aspiration and there's our reality, there's our stories and there's our mindfulness, there's, there's our judgments and our openness. There's our hanging on and there's our letting go. That 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 is the human experience. And and I think, you know, my own experience of sitting here with you is that you represent that so beautifully. And um and what it gives everyone who's listening is permission to recognize that there's no such thing as perfection, that there's no such thing as only one thing but actually it's always many things and that um and the sense of tenderness to self as well generosity to self about recognizing the stories we tell and how they hold us back or how they narrow our vision and that there's always an opportunity to come back to the center and say what is true what is meaningful what is helpful what is supportive what is holding me back what is holding others back so so i i i just want to at this moment honor you brother fapu for what you give to people through your open heartedness and your the way you're able to communicate because you are a beautiful communicator and um and while we can be better at anything i i i would um say that you already hold this space so beautifully and and will continue to do so and ripen it and deepen it. So one last question, brother. The 
Dharma seal of Plum Village the, is, I have arrived, I am home. You have arrived and you are home. And how does that feel? It feels like every bee has to return to its beehive <laughs> for its buzz and its vibe. Um, and how how fortunate I am to have a home to return to. And the home was uh, um, embracing me with, uh, with two arms and a lot of uh, tea <laughs> with my brothers. <laughs> and also just celebrating the last five months of of a retreat offering. Um, uh, and, and as we are witnessing the slow change of our um, leaves around our forest as autumn is arriving, um, it feels, it feels so, so fresh to, to be back home. And uh, home physically is, is such a wonderful condition to have. And, and I don't want to take it for granted, both physically, like my well-being, my ill-being, but also my community, which in this state, I would say we're in a good state of well-being <laughs> and, and just to honor that. And and then when ill-being come, we will take care of it also. Mm. Yeah. And to recognize how happy everyone is yeah. for you to be back home. Yes. Yes. Thank you, brother. Thank you. So, dear listeners, if you like this episode, and to be honest, if you didn't, there is something wrong with you, <laughs> then, <laughs> then, then you can find all of our previous episodes uh, of this podcast series on the Plum Village app and on all podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc., etc. Uh, if you like what we're doing, please subscribe uh, to the podcast on the platform of your choice. And actually... Also leave a review um, if you feel able to. And uh, we read the reviews and both uh, are very nourished by the ones that say how wonderful it is and also um, appreciative of where you think we're missing things and what else you uh, think we can be doing. And you can also find all previous guided meditation in the on-the-go section of the Plum Village app. And this podcast is co-produced by Global Optimism and the Plum Village app with support from the Thich Han Foundation. If you feel inspired to support the podcast moving forward, please visit www.tnhf.org slash donate. And we want to thank all of our friends and collaborators, um, Kata, our producer, and Clay, aka The Podfather, our co-producer, um, Brother Nim Tung, our audio engineer today uh joe our audio editor anka our show notes and publishing and jasmine and cindy our social media garden angels as well as everyone who is supporting the podcast in the community as well as all around the world thank you so much yeah thank you and see you next time
the way out is in. Oh.